0: If you turn to Mark chapter 10, that's page 1014 in the church Bibles, or 1574 in the large print. Mark chapter 10, and this evening we're going to be in verses 13 down to verse 31. Mark 10, 13 to 31. Well, in about a month's time, uh, we are going to be seeing the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. And hopefully the England team are better at athletics and swimming and things than they are at football. Because football, quite frankly, we were a bit rubbish. But imagine, as we were picking the team for the Commonwealth Games, that the selectors for the England team came down to Pelsall and decided to go and scout out some talent by going to the local sports days, which have been happening over the last week. And imagine, if you will, that as they went to the sports days, they decided to pick the entire team of England for the whole of their running races with the children from the schools in Pelsall. You can imagine the shock, couldn't you, on the front pages of all the newspapers that the kids, for the, the, the team for England are, are just children. You can imagine everybody thinking, well, how can that be? Why would they do that? People would be confused. There'd be people thinking, well, England have no hope, just like in the football. Some people might think that they were just looking out for the future. But no one would think that England was serious about winning anything If they've just got children from some schools in some obscure town in the Midlands. Well that's a bit like how the disciples and the crowds thought when Jesus says that he chooses for his kingdom not the rich but ones who are like little children. We are in the second half of the book of Mark where Jesus is teaching us what it means to follow him. And in tonight's passage in Mark, we see two ways that people try to enter the kingdom of God. There's the way of the little child, and there's the way of the rich man. And in a story which for the people at the time would be a complete surprise, we see that it is the children we are to imitate, and not the moral and upstanding rich man. No one here is ever told, are they, stop being so adultish. But in a way, that is what Jesus is saying. He's saying that there is one way to enter God's kingdom. One kingdom, one way. And we see in the first three verses the right way to enter the kingdom as a child. Let's read verses 13 down to verse 16 of Mark chapter 10. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. Uh, Tim talked to us about the importance that Jesus placed on marriage. And it's no coincidence that after showing how Jesus values the bond of marriage, he shows how he values one of the blessings of marriage, which is children. And parents were bringing their children to Jesus to place his hands on them. And placing hands on the children was a, a formal benediction given to invoke God's grace upon the child. It was a sign of Jesus giving uh, grace to the children. They knew Jesus at the very least was someone who could bring God's blessing upon their children. But we see that the disciples rebuked them. They were still preoccupied with their own greatness and had not learnt from the lesson we saw a couple of weeks ago where Jesus picked up a child as an example of how they're to serve one another including serving children. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we said that in this society, children were seen as insignificant. They were abandoned because there was too many mouths to feed. They were often aborted, uh, just like they are today, because they were inconvenient. There was no birth control. There was huge families that they couldn't afford. And children died young, so they didn't attach themselves to children, perhaps in the same way they do today. They were insignificant and not important at all. And so when the disciples saw the children coming to Jesus, they said, go away. Our master's got more important people to see than than you children. But it says here that Jesus is indignant. This This is the only time this word is used about Jesus. He's extremely but rightly angry at what the disciples were doing He was angry that they were stopping people coming to him. Remember, he said it's better to have a millstone around your neck than to cause a child of God to stumble and not come to him. They had not been learning that lesson. But Jesus says instead the children should be allowed to come to him and not be hindered. Why? Because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now this passage has a couple of levels. On one level, we can take from this account the love that Jesus has for children and the importance of children in his kingdom. It's wonderful that we have children in our church. It's wonderful to see them enjoying coming to church. And when you feel agitated, as some people do, that they run around, that they're noisy during communion, and all those kinds of things, we should remember that there are churches that would give almost anything to have just a little bit of what we have here with the children. We should appreciate and thank God for the children that we have and remember that when we get annoyed with them. From this passage, we can say that biblically, children's work is an important ministry and we should not avoid working with children and teenagers because of our own problems or fears we have of them. Also, we can take from this the importance in this, of, our, of parents bringing children to jesus that doesn't mean that we uh, we can't we can't make our children follow jesus but at the very least as parents we must be praying for our children we must be telling our children about jesus and we must be modeling the love of christ to our children at the very least but he uses the children in this passage to teach a far deeper truth than just that at the surface He goes on to explain that the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. He says that we must receive the kingdom of God like a little child, or we will never enter it. And this would have been a big shock to people. It was a challenge to those relying on their own wealth, qualifications, accomplishments, or any other thing that is more than what a child can bring. So in what way have we got to be like a child? Well, firstly, we are to be like children in the way that they came. There is no no way that a child can earn the favour of their parents or anybody else, especially as babies, because they're completely dependent, aren't they? When a little child needs feeding, they expect to be fed. They don't get up, take food out of the cupboard and put a meal together. At least we, we hope they don't. When a baby needs to be put to bed... They don't walk up the stairs and climb in. They are carried and they're put into bed. And we need to come to Jesus in that way. We need to be carried and we bring him nothing. It's completely down to him to to bless us and say, come to me. So many people try to come to Jesus on their own and bring him their good deeds and their moral standing, as we'll see with the rich man in a moment. But we can't bring anything to Jesus. We come in complete dependence on him to accept us with nothing. A child comes into this world with nothing. And we come to Jesus in the new birth with nothing. But the second way we are to be like the children is in the way that they receive. So they're dependent on on God 100%. But also look at how they receive. Because as adults... We don't receive very well, do we? At least I'm speaking for myself. I'm assuming I'm not the only one. You know, one of the phrases I hate about Christmas the most is this. We've got to get them something because they're going to buy us something. I can't stand that about Christmas. It drives me mad. I'd rather just not bother buying them anything if I don't want to. I, and, but, but we do, don't we, sometimes? We buy something because someone else has bought something for us or for our children. And whenever someone gives me something, my instant response is, oh, well, do you want anything for it? Or can I do something for you in return? Rather than just say, thank you very much, I really appreciate what you've given me. But children, on the other hand, are completely different, aren't they? If you've ever seen a child open a birthday present, you'll know what I mean. They open the present, and they don't think, oh, should I give them something for that? (laughs) They just open the present, don't they? And they receive it, and they give thanks, and they are joyful what they have received. They don't need to be asked twice. And Jesus offers us entry into his kingdom with nothing in return in order to earn our way there. He asks us to accept it not by what we have done, but it's a gift of grace, as we've been singing, amazing grace. And when we come to him in dependence and we receive Him without question, look what he does to the children. He takes them in his arms, he places his hands on them, and he blesses them. And with us in our salvation, he takes us in his arms, he places his hands on our lives, and he freely blesses us out of the abundance of his grace. Perhaps there's someone here this evening who is relying on something that they are doing for God to accept them. Your church attendance, your good deeds in or out of the church, or your giving, or any other number of things. As good as these things are, none of them provide you with entry into God's kingdom. All of them are things we do when we're in the kingdom. They don't bring you entry into it. You must come with empty hands and open hearts And allow Jesus to bring his blessing on you. We must always be thankful as Christians for the grace and love that God has lavished upon us. And not forget that we have brought nothing within us to save us. We must come as children into God's kingdom but we must also remain as children in God's kingdom in a sense. We must always remember that we are always dependent on God. We can never do any good thing for him on our own. We're always dependent on Him, and we must continue to receive from the abundance of His grace. So we need to humble ourselves to bring our problems to Him rather than just try and do everything on our own. Maybe some of you struggle with that. I, I do sometimes. Rather than, trying to, uh, rather than coming to God and, and being dependent on Him and seeking the help I need, I'll try and work things out on my own. That's not as a child. A child is dependent on his father to receive. We need to receive the blessings of help from others in the church without feeling like we always have to return the favour. And we need to also serve them freely without expecting anything back. So if I do something for you, I'm not doing it so I can have something back. All that we need is a thank you. And if you do something for me, I shouldn't think, oh... Oh, I better do something for them. I need to say, thank you. I appreciate what you've done for me. And we need to remember too that others need to come to God's kingdom as children and we need to gently carry them to Jesus by presenting Jesus to them. That's the right way to come to the kingdom of God. But as we go on in the passage, we see the wrong way to enter the kingdom as a rich man. Let's look at verses 17 to 22. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. But as soon as Jesus explains the right way and he starts to leave, Mark then contrasts this with the wrong way. A man ran up to him. Well, what does the Bible tell us about this man? It says that he was a rich man because we're told later on he had great wealth. We know that he was a moral man man and tried hard to keep all the commandments. And Luke's account tells us that he was a ruler and so would have been important in his society. He was a man like most people, I would say, in our country today. You see, compared to the rest of the world, we are rich. The fact that we have homes, food in our tables and clean water makes us richer than the majority of the world. And we see ourselves as a civilised society with the rule of law and therefore we see ourselves as moral, just like this man. This man is the average person that lives in the UK today. But although externally he seemed to have everything worked out, Internally, he was questioning what life was all about. He ran up to Jesus and fell on his knees before him, a sign of great respect, a rich ruler falling before a rabbi who lived in poverty. He called Jesus good teacher, not a name that was usually used for a rabbi, but it shows the respect that this man had for Jesus. And it showed his desperation to get an answer from Jesus to his question, which was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, this man had wealth. He had power. He had respectability. But none of these things got him eternal life. He knew this. And shortly we'll see that the disciples even didn't understand this. But this rich man knew that his wealth was not enough. He wanted to find out what he needed to do. Wealth does not buy you eternal life. It does not buy you satisfaction. It always leaves you wanting more. You'll never have enough money. You'll never have enough stuff if that is what you are looking for in life. There will always be more. And this man knew that. And this is something that we need to remember in our society where the pursuit of wealth is something that is so tempting even for Christians to get involved in. As Christians, we should not be so concerned with our salary and our bank balance as we are with our saviour and our walk with him. This man asked Jesus what he could do to inherit eternal life. And notice the first contrast with the child. The child does nothing. They're carried to Jesus. This man comes to him and asks what he can do. Perhaps he was thinking, well, must I be like a child too? And the question too was more like, what more can I do? Because as we see, he's doing quite a lot already. But the Jesus shows the man what good really is. When Jesus asks, why do you call me good? He's not, no one is good except God alone. He's not questioning his own divinity, but rather showing the man what good really is. This man thought he was good. He thought he was good, but Jesus shows him what good really is. Only God is good. Or in other words, the implication is, you are not as good as you think you are. And that's something that's true, perhaps, of many of us. Many of us might think that we're really good. But when you look at God, who is good, you'll realise that you're not as good as you think you are. Riches and morals do not make us good. And Jesus goes on to show, when he lists the commandments here, what he means. So there's the, the, the Ten Commandments he, are, are split into two lists. I don't know if you can see it very well because of the projector. But they're split into two different lists. They're, the first four are what are called vertical commandments, the relationship between us and God, And the final six are, if you like, horizontal, relationship between a person and person. And if you ask anybody, why do you think you're good, people always go to the second list. I don't steal, I don't lie, I don't murder. No one ever says, I'm good because I have no other gods before God. No one says, I'm good because I don't make idols, and things like that. People always go to that second list. But this list that Jesus gave shows two major things that this man lacked. Firstly, there was the lack of the whole of the first four commandments. The rich man, most of all, lacked a relationship with God. That's what he lacked most of all. But secondly, even on those commandments between people, you may notice that the command, you shall not covet, was missing which Jesus seemed to miss on purpose. But when the man heard the list that Jesus did give, he said, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Well, Jewish tradition said that at five years old, children were fit for the scriptures. That meant that at five years old, they would start learning the Bible. They would learn to recite it. And when they got to 13, the Jewish tradition said that they were fit for the law. That meant they could start keeping the commandments. So when he said, I've kept these since I was a boy, he's referring to when he was probably about 13 years old, when he started to be fit for the law. But in saying this, he thought he was good. He was showing, trying to show Jesus how good he was, but Jesus shows him he is not as good as he thinks he is. He lacks a relationship with God, and he has a problem with covetousness. The Bible says Jesus looked at him and loved him. He doesn't see a hypocrite as he does often with the Pharisees, but someone genuinely searching. He didn't rebuke him. He looked at him and loved him. And when you love somebody, you tell them the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. It's not loving to hide the truth from anybody. And Jesus tells this man how it is. He lacks one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Well, is this something for all of us to do? Perhaps if you're sitting uncomfortably, I would say maybe yes. But this isn't a command for everybody. We know this is the case because in the early church they met in homes which would not have existed if they had no possessions. But this command was specific to this individual. We talked before about radical discipleship, cutting off the hand, the foot, the eye, if it causes you to sin. Well, this man had a serious problem with covetousness. To covet is to lust after things and put things ahead of God, put stuff ahead of God. And it's an idol, and it's one actually that we are plagued with in our society today, where there is so much stuff to be had. He thought he was good. But in truth, he was not. And his riches were an obstacle in him coming to the kingdom. And because he loved them so much, they were his idol. And so it says he went away sad because he had great wealth. He had an idol, wealth, that he loved more than he loved God. And then he broke, therefore, the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. He had wealth before God. So it's a command to this specific man, but if some of you maybe are sitting there really uncomfortable and thinking, oh no, I really love my wealth, I wouldn't want to do that, then maybe it might be a command for you as well. We shouldn't be uncomfortable with what Jesus is asking. But we can put wealth ahead of God, can't we? It's something that we're tempted with so often in our, in our society, isn't it? It's everywhere. But look at how this man is opposite to the child. A child comes with dependence and the man comes with independence. A child has nothing to hold on to and the man has his wealth as his idol. Jesus wants us to come as a child in dependence, not with all that we can do. And he wants us as a child stripped of all that we hold dear outside of Christ. And I wonder how are you coming to Jesus? Perhaps you're relying on your own goodness You're not good enough. You're not as good as you think you are, if that's the case. You can only come to God as a child freely of his grace, not of works, lest any man can boast. But even after we become Christians, we can be crippled by legalism, which is another form of trying to earn God's favour. We can constantly be plagued with, am I good enough? Have I done enough? Whereas God says, "You you are freely in my kingdom by my grace. Our good works are a thank you note to Jesus for what he has given us. When we receive birthday presents, we we can write thank you notes. We don't pay the person for them. We just say thank you. And that's what our good works are. They're a thank you to Jesus for what he has done for us. And like the rich man, we need to have things stripped away from our lives that are holding us back. Things stripped away from our lives that we value More than Jesus. Like the rich man, maybe it is your wealth that you love. Well, the antidote to greed is generosity, and perhaps you ought to give it away. Perhaps you hold on to your influence or reputation at work or at school or in the community or even in the church. Perhaps you love being in front of everybody and people seeing what you do and you value that. Well, I would encourage you, if that's the case, start doing things that people don't see, that you can't boast about, so that you do not get the glory. Perhaps many uh, harbour secret sins, and you hold them dear, they're precious to you. And because no one knows about them, you can hold on to them. Well, you need to get rid of them. Bring them out in the open and seek help. Have Christ as your most treasured possession. And then, Jesus says, you will have treasure in heaven. So this way of thinking, if you, if you can see, is opposite to the normal way that sinful humanity thinks. We think coming to God's kingdom is all about what we do or what we have. But Jesus says it's all about what we can't do and what we lack. And this was as shocking in first century Palestine as it is to 21st century Britain. But Jesus shows us that the only way to enter the kingdom as a child is the better way to enter the kingdom. Look at verses 23 to 31. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to one another, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, We have left everything to follow you. Sad because his wealth was great. Jesus shocked the disciples. He told them that riches, rather than help people get to heaven, hinder people. It's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it's true that riches do make it hard because money is a God that makes us feel secure, influential, powerful and confident in our own abilities. How will you be rich in faith when you have everything already? How will you trust God when you have what you need? How will you be humble when everyone else puts you on a pedestal because you are rich? But this was not the way the disciples saw things. They saw things very differently. In verse 24, it says that they were amazed at his words. Well, why? Well, the Jews were accustomed to thinking of wealth as a blessing from God and not as dangerous. They would think of Old Testament people who were wealthy. Abraham, David, Solomon and Job, for example. They would think of the fact that the rich could buy the best lambs for sacrifice. They could give the largest offerings in the temple. And in a society where access to God was all about what you do, this statement was shocking because the rich could simply do more. And in response to this shock, Jesus emphasised his point again with stating something impossible. A camel, the largest animal in Palestine, fitting through the eye of a needle. Now, I'm I'm not a sewer. I find it impossible to get a thread through the eye of a needle. I always have to give it to Paula. In fact, I would say I would have to give it to Paula because it's very rare that I've ever had to try and do it myself. I would instantly give it to my wife to do. But it is impossible for a camel, the largest animal in Palestine, to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples got this. In other words, it's impossible for, the, for, for riches to buy your way into heaven. It's impossible. And that's why the disciples asked, well, who then? Who can be saved if the, if the rich can't do it? And it's like a camel going through a needle. Who can be saved? Because it's impossible. Well, Jesus says, not with God. With God, all things are possible. The rich themselves are not barred from heaven. And we thank God for that because, as I said, we are all rich, in, really, aren't we? Nobody is barred from heaven because of their riches. But those who love riches more than Jesus and don't want to follow him, well they're the ones that it's hard and impossible to get in. I remember when we lived in Devon and we would uh, go and speak to people, uh, sometimes on the streets or go and visit people in their homes. To win people to Christ there was really hard because there was areas in Ivy Bridge that were really very, very wealthy And they they weren't ever, we didn't ever have super rich people, but we had people that never really had enough. House prices were high, there were clubs for everything for their children, there were good schools, there was a lovely area where there was loads of stuff they could do. They had everything they needed. So when we were trying to explain that they needed Christ, it was so hard. It was so hard to get them to see their need of Jesus. But it wasn't impossible. People did come to faith, but we noticed it was hard. But the question that they were asking, it was, is it worthwhile? I've got all I need. Is it worth giving all of this for all of what you're showing me? And I would ask the same question. If I'm going to invest all I have and invest all my life, I want to make sure that I'm not being conned and it's worthwhile, don't I? And I'm sure you're the same. And Peter made this exclamation in verse 28. We have left everything to follow you. Peter realizes that they are not like this rich man. They have left livelihoods. They left families in order to follow Jesus. And so we have a rich man who has kept everything and he's gone away. Okay, he's sad, but he has everything And we have the disciples who have given up everything, but they're following Jesus. Who is better off? Who has made it worthwhile? That's the question, isn't it? Well, Jesus provides the answer. He says if we leave homes, families, possessions like fields, we will receive a hundred times as much in this present age. So the blessings of being a Christian are not just eternal, Jesus says we're actually better off this side of heaven too, although it comes with persecutions. So is Jesus saying, therefore, that if we leave everything, we'll just be persecuted millionaires? Well, no, (laughs) that's not what he's saying at all. In one sense, when Christ is your greatest treasure that you value above everything else, he is of more value, hundreds of times more value, than everything you've left behind. But in another sense, this has huge implications for how we do church. Because Jesus says, whenever we give up, whatever we give up for him is gained back by being one of his followers. So you gain a new family in the church, which includes people who will be like mother and father to you. Children who look up to you like parents. You know, this this was massive for me when I came to faith. Because I came to faith out of a home that were not believers at all and no interest in Christ. And when I came to church as a Christian, I really did have a new family. I had people in that church that in a Christian sense were like a mother to me, people that were like a father, men that I looked up to in a way that I couldn't look up to my earthly father. I had brothers and sisters that I could fellowship with. I had homes that people would open up and share with me. So in one sense, um, there, there is a sense, for, for me at least, where I had to, in a way, give up my, or my family because they, they didn't like what I was doing. But I gained so much more by being in the family of God. I really, um, I, I get this. <laughs> this, is, this is real to me. And it should be for us too. And we, in, as Christians, we, we pool our resources... So that rather than me having one field, I actually have lots of fields because I share them with you. So your house is my house. And my house is your house, in a a sense. That's what Jesus is saying here. So you can see how this has huge implications for how we do church. We shouldn't have closed doors and not let anyone in. Because Jesus is saying here that we gain uh, so much by being part of one of his followers. And you can see it in Acts, can't you, when it says there that they had all things in common? Everything was shared together. And although in this present age there is persecution, there is no better place to be than in the family of God. But even persecution, in a sense, uh, the Bible tells us, is a blessing. Now, that's not to make light of the suffering that many Christians go through, but it's just to say that the Bible says that we count it joy when we're facing trials. And furthermore, in the ages to come, we have eternal life. All the blessings in heaven, which are beyond measure, are ours as well. So is it worth it? Yes, absolutely it is worth it. It is worth it now and it is worth it in eternity. A hundred times now, infinitely times in eternity. It is worth giving everything for Jesus you cannot outgive god and this turns the world's thinking on its head doesn't it you may be first now in the sense of being self-sufficient and rich but you are last in the sense of being poor without being in the kingdom of god and those who are seen as last now because they've given everything to christ are really rich because they belong to the kingdom of god And this will ultimately be played out in eternity when we have all the blessings that Jesus has for us. So is it worth it? Is coming as a child, stripping ourselves of all things we hold dear and giving them all at the cross worth our while? Absolutely yes. This side of heaven and in eternity too. We are abundantly blessed by being in the family of God. The missionary Jim Elliott, who died serving God amongst the tribes in Ecuador, said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm finding as we're going through Mark that Jesus is giving different applications to the overall message of what it means to be his disciple. We've seen that we are to suffer for him. We're told to cut off the root causes of sin. We're told to be radical in our marriages. And here we are challenged to give all as a child, come with nothing to Christ as in his kingdom. The Christian life is not an easy life, but it's the only way to the blessings of the kingdom of God. It is worth our while and I urge you, to give your all for him. Well we're going to close with the final song. As we've been talking about the blessings of God. I want us to think as we sing. About how blessed we are. To be in the family of God. And to be in his kingdom. So we're going to finish by singing. I cannot count your blessings Lord. They're wonderful. And in the chorus. It talks of how we're to give our lives. To God. To God to change the world. So let's stand together and sing.